you know, you, when you mentioned real estate investing in your example, the validation that you have on a building, whether it's comps or occupancy or, you know, rent roll, you know, franchising has some very similar attributes. And what I mean by that is I mentioned fast signs earlier. If you were going to pursue fast signs, there's a certain amount of due diligence, just like with real estate, that you're going to go through. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Lance Growlick from Ion Franchising. Today, we're talking about something a little different from what we normally talk about. We're talking about franchise ownership, buying a franchise to replace your income or to supplement your income. We talk about the kind of level of activity that franchising takes, and there's a spectrum, and we, we dive into that. We talk about a few examples of what it takes as a franchise owner to replace your day job income or to you know, earn more than your day job income and leave your job and really what it takes to finance buying your franchise and where the opportunities are today, how COVID has impacted the franchising world and all of the you know positive and negative things there because there have been some businesses that have had absolutely uh, banner years as a result of COVID and, and things have gone very, very well because of shifts in demand due to people working from home and you know, all the different things that have come along uh, with the pandemic. Really interesting. I think franchises are a great way to get your wealth away from Wall Street and into Main Street. Like I said, we normally talk about real estate investing here, but I think franchise ownership is very much in that same vein of getting your money away from Wall Street and getting cash flow coming your direction, building those machines to bring you money. That's what it's all about. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Really appreciate you tuning in. Please take a quick second go and go to your favorite podcast app, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and we will help you get your wealth away from Wall Street passively. If you do enjoy the show, I ask that you take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, Leave us a rating and review, five stars if you don't mind. It's much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in Apple's ecosystem and helps other people get their wealth away from Wall Street along with us. It also helps me feel good. I see every single rating, review, comment that you guys put on there, and I really genuinely appreciate it. Once again, our guest is Lance Growlick from Ion Franchising. Here we go. Lance, thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Taylor. Hey, it's been great talking with you here, and we're going to learn a lot from you today about the franchise world, the world of becoming you know, a franchise owner, and there's a lot to unpack in the short amount of time that we have. Can you tell our listeners a bit about your business and what you do? Yeah, uh, so I'm a franchise broker. I represent over 650 franchise brands in every imaginable category. I uh, started off in the franchise world many years ago. I left Wall Street. In uh, 1988, uh, there was electricity, I think, about that time <laughs> is when it started now. And uh, headed west from New York City, growing up in that Wall Street family and, and headed west to follow uh, an old tech relative that made a lot of money in tech to build, uh, attempt to build a billion dollar restaurant franchise. We got to about 225 million a year. I ended up loving the West Coast. Um, Got to enjoy a little bit of L.A., Vegas, Arizona, um, planted myself in Arizona. Um, but over the years, I owned uh, several different franchise brands 
I was a multi-unit operator in several states, Krispy Kreme Donuts, Wingstop. I've been uh, uh, president of franchise advisory councils. I assist private equity groups in the uh, restaurant and then specifically franchise space, publicly traded companies. And uh, But, you know, I, I enjoy the hell out of being a franchise broker. I get to show people the path that they should be on. I tend to ask permission first. Sometimes I don't ask permission to you know, be honest and give them feedback on where I think they should be based on their experiences and investment level, et cetera. So, uh, but being a franchise broker has been uh, incredibly rewarding and uh, and very flexible. And uh, sadly, these days, the more adversity there is, the more opportunity there seems to be. So uh, that's where we are. Yeah, absolutely. I believe there will always be opportunity uh, no matter what, you know, there's, it's always out there to be found. Now, always. Oh, before we hit record, we were talking, you were telling me a bit about kind of the different types of uh, franchise owners in terms of their activity levels. And, you know, at the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, we're really going for, you know, fewer hours for you know, <laughs> more money, right? We don't want to buy ourselves yeah. another job. So can you tell us That's about- That's what everyone wants. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so what are the options out there, you know, for franchise, people getting into franchise ownership as far as, uh, you know, not buying themselves another job? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny when you were asking me about my background. So I grew up in a, in a Wall Street family. Dad's company was the largest over-the-counter trading house on Wall Street. And, you know, dad, wow. everybody was all about Wall Street, stocks, bonds, you know, et cetera. And, uh, but my, one of my grandfathers was, uh, was a big real estate attorney and owned buildings. And in fact, was, uh, did a lot of business with Fred Trump back in the old days. You know, the business, business in general, franchise is a third leg of that stool. And, uh, you know, while there are some people that get out of certain businesses, maybe they, they get out of the stock market or they're using their 401k for their startup investment in, in a franchise, whatever their situation might be. Um, there are a lot of owner-operator type franchises. You and I were talking briefly. Fast Signs is a pretty well-known franchise, very successful. But in order to do a Fast Signs, you need to be the owner-operator. You're going to need to be there full time. And uh, you know there are, are quite a few like that. There are others that are what we call semi-absentee, where you don't, you know, you can be you can be gone. You don't you can put a manager in place, and they'll trust you that it'll be running right. And, uh, you know, then there are kind of an executive level, level, level model or a complete absentee own model where, you know, it could run itself. Or I have a business in particular I have in my mind. It's called Water Station Technology, and it's 100% absentee owned. Typically, it will return 18% plus. You have write-offs because you're investing in equipment, and you literally do nothing. It's just the model that they created, and it's been incredibly successful for years. So, you know, that's the first conversation I have with people besides their investment level is is what's their sort of activity level going to be? Are they going to be involved? What's their plan? And uh, and also the lifestyle piece. Um, are you planning on not being there? So if you did want to be involved, uh, do you want off every night and weekends as well? Do you want a home-based model? Um, you know, some people are talking to me about things for their kids, you know, building that generational wealth for their family, something they're not going to sell anytime soon. So everybody's got a different strategy. And there are franchises in every single category. And uh, I mean, I even have an incredible restaurant brand that actually has a 100% absentee owned model where 
you can pay a management fee and they'll run your operation for you, which is uh, pretty, pretty incredible. In fact, that's a six month contract. So you can kind of turn it on and off as need be. Interesting. So I guess, yeah. you know, in a certain sense, I don't mean to sound cynical, but in a certain sense, I feel like some of the pushback you might get is that some of this sounds a little too good to be true. You know, we know when we buy uh, like an apartment complex, we know why that's generating money because people live there and we can underwrite it and everything. But why would a, a company that sells franchises allow this absentee owner model and allow me to you know, invest this money and not be there? And then I get all the return. Why do, why wouldn't they just make the investment or you know take out some kind of business loan and and open that franchise for themselves if it, if it can be you know kind of absentee run? Like how do you kind of bridge that gap? Yeah, that's a great question and a common question because the reality is in real estate investing there are plenty of scenarios where people are pooling their money. You know the various syndications or whatever the deal might be where people are all putting money in. And the reality is, is ca- cash is king, capital is king, and you know franchising is no different. There are plenty of models that can grow on their own, go to the bank, or you know through their own cash flow at their own speed, and can do it themselves. Franchising is a model that people choose to accelerate the pace at which they grow and scale. So you know you, when you mention real estate investing in your example. The validation that you have on a building, whether it's comps or occupancy or, you know, rent roll, you know, franchising has some very similar attributes. And what I mean by that is I mentioned fast signs earlier. If you were going to pursue fast signs, there's a certain amount of due diligence, just like with real estate, that you're going to go through. It starts with the first call. Then you get the franchise disclosure document. Franchising is heavily regulated by the federal government. There's actually, I mean, you might as well be a, a private placement memorandum. It's you know, or a, or a mortgage. It's a big legal packet, a template that's laid out by the federal government. Each state has an opportunity to make it more stringent if they choose to, and states like California, of course, certainly do. And uh, so there are registration states for franchising, and and other states that are that are not. California, of course, is a registration state. So you know, you get to validate numbers, depending on what they're going to disclose in the franchise disclosure document. So you can sort of build that business plan for yourself. As you certainly know, you know, McDonald's, everybody knows, is a great franchise that that is quite visible, name name brand. And, you know, yet there's still a bottom 10% of McDonald's franchisees that just don't perform like the top 10%. Well, what's the difference there? It's the same thing in anything in any sport, in any game, in any career choice, there's always a bottom 10%. And uh, it's how you operate it. It's how you train your staff. Who's actually, you know, there. And it's not always about being there. It's, it's, you know, your team, of course. So, but the final step in validation with a franchise is that you actually get to talk to existing franchisees and understand about the best practices, understand what's the ramp up like, you know, because working capital becomes important. You know, whether or not you're going to, it's like losing a tenant. You have to plan for that. And you know that you have capital to handle that when all of a sudden you have a vacancy you didn't expect. So in in franchising, do you ramp up according to the average? Are you above average? I, I was fortunate that, I don't know, call it a better attention to detail, but I was always in the top, you know, 10% of performers in my franchise uh, career as an operator. 
And in some cases, that's, you know, that's a hard piece. But, you know, the validation, as I'm saying here, is what really matters in the franchise world. Because, you know, if you think you're at least average, I could show you plenty of franchise brands that, you know, will perform as expected because they have enough critical mass and are proven enough to uh, prove that out. Interesting. Okay. So I guess the, I think the next logical question, right, is, you know, we have folks out there listening that are busy professionals and want to you know, replace their, their day job income and see some form of retirement coming down the road and say, maybe they need to bring in a hundred thousand dollars in, you know, to replace their income. There's going to be some money for nothing, right? You need to invest in the franchise, buy right. the equipment, what have you. I mean, what does it typically look like in order to replace, you know, a, a fairly modest middle class income, you know, yeah. with cash flow from the franchise? Yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, this is what I do every single day. So uh, I'm I have like five or ten examples running through my head right now. Which one am I going to pick? You know, first of all, when you're used to being a W two employee, you don't have the advantage of write offs. So if you did have, let's say, a hundred thousand dollar income from a W two job and you want to replace it, you don't exactly need a $100,000 income because you're going to have the benefit of write-offs. But let's assume you do. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll feel like a king at that point or queen. So uh, th- the reality is I know looking at franchise disclosure documents and earnings claims, within the franchise disclosure document, there's 23 items that's part of that template. Item 19 is the earnings claim or the financial representations. Some brands have a healthy item 19 and 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 some don't actually want to show you everything and it's not necessarily cuz anything's bad in particular you know they're filed with the state people can get access to them maybe for confidentiality purposes i have some hot brands that have nothing in that section but you know you know they're a busy successful brand they just don't want to show it so what i do is and i have a gentleman right now he's uh, a veteran doing medical device sales used to making 250,000 dollars a year and so your example, let's bump it up. Let's make it even harder. Totally. You know, he wants to replace that income. 225, 250 is, is what he wants to replace. And I have various, and part of his lifestyle choice, remember we talked about that earlier, is that he doesn't want to work nights and weekends. He doesn't want to work the crazy hours that he works right now. So I have him in the final stages comparing various B2B type businesses where he can have a home-based franchise for under $75,000, where he gets to work out of his house. And we're doing those calculations. How quickly can I get, can I get my 75,000 back? Well, the answer is probably, well, for sure within eight months, knowing him and his personality, but more than likely it could be six months, all right? And then on top of that, can he make that 225 or 250 with either of these brands? Sure. As a matter of fact, they validate both of these brands where people can make Five hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars a year. In fact, in one brand in particular, I know people that net over a million dollars a year out of their house. In fact, that same franchise, people have actually sold a franchise for well over a million dollars. I think a million five is probably the highest that I know of selling a home-based franchise out of their house. Hmm, So yes, to replace a hundred thousand dollar income, no brainer. Um, I have a gentleman right now over three hundred thousand in income. So what he's looking at is a home-based home care franchise. Look, during the pandemic, what what happened when everybody was stuck at home? Everybody looked at their house and said, we're going to redo our window coverings. We're going (laughs) to redo our flooring. I need new carpet. I need my carpet clean. So all these businesses that either 
you know, help you remodel a part or pieces of your home or clean your house were busier than heck. Other than the first 30 days where everybody stared at each other like, what's <laughs> right. going on in this world? There's the world ending. And when we realized that wasn't the case, these brands just kicked it in high gear. So this gentleman in particular is in the Midwest. And he said, Lance, what's it going to take for me to make 300000 plus? He goes, you know what? Semi-absentee. That's what I want. You told me about that. Semi-absentee. I don't want to quit my day job. And technically, I showed him plenty of absentee type ownership things. So what he did was he's having a relative quit his job, <laughs> which is a lower paying job. He's going to run it. And they're in the final stages deciding what they're going to do. And they're going to buy multiple territories of uh, a specific home brand. It's not, it's not window coverings, but it might as well be. Very successful brand. And, uh, and they're looking to make about 500000 a year minimum when all their territories are open. But he's going to keep his day job. So he's not terribly concerned about making that all at once at this point. Yeah, we'll see how long he keeps his day job once that money's rolling in. It's, yes, <laughs> we'll exactly right. How that's <laughs> so just to go back to you mentioned seventy five thousand dollar investment type of type of situation for that one example. Are folks coming up with you know bringing that out of cash? I imagine you know four hundred one ks might be an option that some people dip into. I don't know about like loans and financing; those might get expensive. Plenty of loans. There's plenty, you know, it's, it's, it's only expensive when you have the cash and you're evaluating and you decide, <laughs> you know, I want to save that. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about the financing, but there, there are all kinds of loans available. A lot of people are using 401k money these days as the market flies high these days and, and nobody knows what's going to happen the rest of 2021 with the market. You know, the 401k money is very popular to use. It's, it's the acronyms ROBS, R-O-B-S. And it's a rollover business startup loan out of your 401k. C corporation has to be set up. And basically, you're just you know, establishing a new retirement account and getting approval from the IRS through a third party intermediary to use those funds for a business or for real estate for that matter. So, uh, and no penalties. You're just borrowing from yourself. It's a very popular way to do it. Uh, SBA loans are always popular. Typically, the express loans are 150000 for the smaller deals. Uh, there's all kinds of options out there. Uh, at the end of the day, the Small Business Administration always wants to stimulate the economy. Um, although a lot of franchise brands did incredibly well through the pandemic, the, the pulse out there, so to speak, everybody's still concerned of what's happening next, what's going on, you know, what what's to come. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, you know, my observation. I think that's pretty much always the case. You know, people have, in the real estate space, People have been talking about the next big one since I've started investing and the market just kept going up and properties kept cash flowing. So, you know, the you next bubble, the next correction, make hay while the sun shines. You know what I mean? And buy it cash flow and then, then, you know, big honking deal. But, you know, I'd like to touch on uh, businesses that were, you know, negatively impacted by the pandemic. You've mentioned Krispy Kreme. You know, I think about my local Krispy Kreme, the whole pandemic, they've had a line around the block of people buying donuts. I have a buddy that owns a Chick-fil-A or a couple Chick-fil-A's. They're all they've got drive-through around the block. McDonald's, they've seemed to kill it as well. So, you know, maybe some of the fast food restaurants haven't panned out, but there's you know, TGF Fridays and many others that might have struggled. Have you seen like a big pullback in the like sit-down franchise restaurant space or you know, any yeah. major impacts there? Well, the one the one area, and I, I have to 
share this with people all the time because there's so many misconceptions. The one area that got killed that most people have figured out by now is exactly what you just said. The big box restaurants. Anybody that relied on people to come into their building, if, if you know, a big box restaurant or a fine dining restaurant, gourmet type restaurant, if they weren't doing more than 50% of their business from takeout or delivery prior to the pandemic, they got killed when the pandemic hit. Even brands like Shake Shack, which, you know, it's a regional brand, but a very, very successful, powerful brand, publicly traded. We're sitting on 120 million in cash prior to the pandemic. Wow. And, but they were not focused on delivery or takeout. And that ended up being a big mistake going into the, pan- the pandemic. So yeah, the big box restaurants absolutely got killed. All kinds of independent restaurants that didn't have the power of marketing behind them to adapt to what was going on. It's quite a few brands that adapted pretty quickly to putting specials up there that were beneficial to their food costs and what have you, and just promoting the heck out of things to to get customers in the door for that matter, in the door, I should say for takeout (laughs) or delivery for that matter. So, um, you know, salons, obviously any retail presence that was really affected from the shutdown were, you know, salons or beauty parlors, if you will, and big box restaurants really got hurt for a while. The salons for the most part are, are back. You know, what happened to every lady that I know in my family that, couldn't get her nails done for a period of time or hair or whatever it might be. It doesn't last long. They're going to go get that taken care of as quickly as they can. Yes. The big, the big box restaurants are not back full stream yet or full steam because of the fact that seating issues. I mean, I'm in Nevada and in in, in Vegas, at least we're at 35% or 50% occupancy, whatever it is these days, it went up recently again, but it's still a challenge. Now, uh, another misconception, the smaller restaurants or the fast food, like you described, are having some of the best years they've ever had. I mean, I have friends that own franchise sandwich shops that are up 15 to 35 percent over last year. But that was all of 2020, I should say. So it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of brands that took a pause, you know, home health care and things like that. Took that one month pause or so. Nobody knew what the heck was going on. And then, you know, all these essential businesses, you know, which is so so much of franchising, the automotive segment, you know, you have to get your car fixed, although people weren't driving for a period of time. (laughs) So anyway, hopefully that answered it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, many of these businesses, we did have kind of a freeze up where, yeah, nobody's really going outside for that first month. And then eventually you figure out, we need to be careful, right? But we also need to eat. We need to get our cars fixed. My mom was getting her nails done throughout most of the quarantine because that's the only yeah. and that's the only thing she did. She would go get her nails done. And that was it. Well, and, she's lucky she had a nail salon open here. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it took a little while till it started, yeah. you know, loosening up a little bit. But you're absolutely right about that. There was definitely pent up demand there, even though there's nowhere else to go. People were still, you know, going out getting nails and hair hair done and everything once they could. Um, interesting. It, so- it sounds like a an awesome opportunity for for folks out there you don't want to maybe don't want to invest in real estate or, or want to diversify a little bit franchising seems like a great and my services are free anybody that's searching you know it's a, it's a free service i get paid by the brands nice resource up nice right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor all right lance i've got three questions i ask every guest on the show are you ready i am ready awesome first one what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education 
The best investment I ever made was actually when I joined Franserve as a broker, believe it or not, a $25,000 investment for life to join the largest franchise brokerage in the US. No maintenance fees, no annual fees. I have so many resources, absolutely incredible. Nice, nice. And that led you to the business that you have now, right? Absolutely. Got you started. I was doing it on my own, doing my own franchise development. I was doing it very well. And then when I discovered them, I realized, hey, this is silly. Let me just join, let me just join Franserve. And then I have so many more brands in my portfolio. Nice. We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. I almost prefer this one more. What is the worst <laughs> investment? Oh, so do I. <laughs> you know, it's really a pretty easy answer, and it's not going to be a traditional answer. I made some really bad investments in my time, but more specifically in relationships with partners. When I got involved in Wingstop, it was an incredible investment. But my original partner backed out after I signed the development agreement. Although the investment was fantastic, replacing that partner who had some family issues that arose mm. was the one of the biggest burdens of my life at the time was miserable because I, I felt like I financed the perfect franchise opportunity, which it was junk bond financing by the time. I did all the hard stuff well. <laughs> the easy stuff, getting the money, was what uh, you know with the partnership was 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 awful. The attorney recommendations, and I take responsibility for it. I mean, I, I surrounded myself with the worst people. Didn't know it at the time. Hmm. Well, sometimes you only learn uh, some of these lessons the hard way, right? Well, I won't ever do that again. Cross that off the list. Never make the same mistake twice, right? That's right. That's right. My actual favorite question here at the end of the show is: What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? It's a combination, you know, the, the three R's, the relationships, the resources, and the roadmap. And, and also that's what franchising gives you, the roadmap for sure. Um, and, and having the proper relationships, um, which is really a repeat of number two. So I'll go to the middle R, which is the resources. Uh, again, look at what I am. I am a resource to so many people now. When I started my businesses, before the Google era, today you can Google everything, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when I started my businesses in the uh, pre-Google era, I, I would say I never found the right resources uh, for myself. So take advantage of the right resources. That's why masterminds are so popular these days. You know, so I mentor a lot of CEOs at emerging brands, and I am their resource. So awesome. resources, nice, love it. Well, Lance, thank you for joining us today, bringing us these lessons. Like I said, I think franchising is a really interesting opportunity that can help folks get their wealth away from Wall Street. And that's what I love here. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, learn more about your business, what you do, uh, and all that great stuff, where can they find you? Easy as can be. Ionfranchising.com, Ionfranchising.com. I do have a free assessment on my website if you're looking at franchise or business opportunities. And that uh, that assessment will take you 10 or 15 minutes and uh, it'll determine your well, compatibility, mindset, skill set. Help me determine what brands might be most similar uh, or best for you, I should say. So uh, come visit me. You'll find me all over uh, social media as well. Awesome. Well, Lance, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. 
helps other people learn about the show, helps us rank higher in their algorithm and all that great stuff. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.